on episode 21 of Thoughts from the Shade, we're talking another Eagles win, in-season hard knocks with the Indianapolis Colts, and NFL Week 11. We discuss Week 12 in college football, give our latest college football playoff rankings, and wrap with some Flyers talk. This episode is brought to you by Menard Premium Detailing, the best auto detail company in Bucks County. They specialize in detailing luxury vehicles, but the limits are endless. Menard services include protective film, ceramic paint coating, home coatings, caliper paint, and more. Check them out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and at MenardPremiumDetailing.com. This episode is also brought to you by Shamrock Sun. Fair-skinned folks are used to getting burned, overpaying for big sunscreens, tiny tubes of sunscreen every other week. $10 here, $15 there. It adds up. It's inconvenient. Now it's a thing of the past. Meet Shamrock Sun, your new big-ass bottle of sunscreen, delivered by subscription. Check them out on Instagram and at shamrocksun.com. We'd like to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Now let's get down to business. All right, let's just do it. Episode 21 of Thoughts from the Shade. Uh, it was a good weekend. I mean, we had a good weekend of college football, a little bit of clarity now in the college football playoff picture, which we will touch on a little later. Um, obviously, you hit the birds and their big win off the hop. But we got Thanksgiving this week. Um, just a beautiful time of year. And obviously, us here at Thoughts from the Shade, we are super thankful for our followers, our listeners. Uh, and especially thankful for those of you that subscribe and like and follow on Instagram and are kind enough to go on Apple and, and give a review there. So let me throw it over to Bomb. He was in the building on Sunday for the big Eagles win over New Orleans. What's going on, Bomb? How was it down at the link on Sunday? Hell of a day. I, I got to tell you, man, uh, Rocky got the people going. Uh, just a tremendous intro video, but you know, I thought there were more cheers for the big, beautiful flyover that they did before the game. So I don't know if they showed that on TV, but they had uh, uh, four uh, U.S. military, some sort of uh, aircraft flying over the game. And uh, and it certainly wasn't an aerial attack during the game. So good to see the uh, the Air Force or whatever it is before the game. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't think we got it on TV. I don't I don't recall seeing it. But certainly always gets the people fired up to see a nice flyover. And, uh, I mean, what what was the vibe compared to the Chargers game down there? And I know we talked about the Rocky uh, pregame video and, um, you know, whatnot with, with the Chargers game. But we were still sub-500, but was there a different vibe? And, and was the Rocky video, is that a violation this week or – are you cool with it? And do you nah, think cool with it this week? Cool with it this week. The vibe was very different. I saw a lot, a lot more familiar faces up in section two forty four. Um, Beautiful guys that that I think had sold early early season games and said, you know what, they're starting to turn around. Let's get in there. Let's support the boys. Let's let's get behind this. It still doesn't have a Doug feel. Doug, like I was ready to run through a freaking brick wall when that guy like came out on the field with the visor and the gray hair and calling up fourth down plays. I don't have that fuel yet with, with Nick, but, uh, but now great game, great game plan. Uh, people were fired up. It was great to see. 
Now, let me ask you this before we get into the, the game itself. Eagles are five and six, right? And we've got at the Giants, at the Jets, and then a bye week. Um, you'd have to check the schedule for me. I don't know if the game after the bye is at home. But the next time the Eagles step foot in Lincoln Financial Field on that turf, will they be over 500? And will it absolutely not be a violation to get that Rocky song or Rocky video going? Oh, they'll, they'll be over 500. Wow. I mean, there's, there's not even, I mean, there's no question they'll be over 500. Yeah, they got the Giants on Sunday at MetLife. I believe they opened up at minus three or minus three and a half. Um, sure, two for the G-Men. Yeah, they got Tampa Bay Monday night here. Uh, we're recording a little in advance of that. I'm just taking a quick look. I want to see the next time the Eagles play at the link. It will be after the bye. So Giants-Jets bye. At home against Washington, who Washington's starting to piece it together a little bit. They beat Tampa Bay. Uh, they beat Carolina yesterday. So th- those will be some tough games because Washington, they they kind of always play play somewhat tough. But we'll look forward in a little bit. Let's get to the game. I mean, you talked about the vibe. Talk about what you saw on the field. I mean, what were your thoughts generally on the game? Man, I mean, you know, my overall thoughts is – uh, or this Jalen hurts is the quarterback for the foreseeable future. He is a smooth customer. Uh, I, I was watching the game with an ice cold Miller light in my hand. So I didn't have the opportunity to take notes. Like some of these honk reporters that you listen to on WIP and 97.5. They, you ever hear them talk about the notes? They talk about the Oh, I wrote that down. Yeah. Great play by hurts. So we're just going to do it from memory here. Uh, seven, nothing game Eagles driving. Uh, uh, third down and goal and Hertz scrambles to the pylon and I hate to do it this early in, in the in the podcast episode but what the fuck is that referee looking at where Hertz literally reaches the ball across the goal line and he, he's got him he doesn't have him on like the one inch yard line he's got him on like the one yeah I think on TV it was pretty clear to see that, that he had reached that ball over the pylon so but, the other thing was, gee, and, I, and you know, I hate to call out the guys in my section. I was the only guy on my feet, mother F and the refs going nuts saying that's a pathetic call. That's pathetic. And everybody just kind of like looked at me like I was the crazy guy. If you watch Jalen Hurts in college, he he's like too smooth when he goes to that pylon. Like he's like too. He knows exactly where his body is in space. He's got like great awareness like that. He knows the exact blade of grass he needs to get to in order to score relative to a defender clamping down on him. And he just squeaks that ball right over the goal line. I mean, the guy's like unbelievably so fucking smooth. Yeah. You're not kidding. It's, it's funny you say that because I was watching the game with, with my dad actually. And, uh, he was like, he waited too long to run. And it did feel like that watching the play. But after you saw, you know, the slow-mo replay of how he reached it across the pylon and, and how it was not even close, you're just like, he didn't wait too long. The guy knows exactly what he's fucking doing. Now, from you're in 244, right? Yep. I want I want to get that right. So I want to refer to that going forward. Section 244, that pylon that he ran to. Now, what is that to your right? Is that to your left? And then is that like the near pylon or the far pylon across across the field for you? It's it's to our left. So we're like in between the 35 and the 40. So it's to our left. It's the enzyme closest enzyme closest to us. It's the far pylon. 
So he had a great, great angle. And I'm looking at it, and I've seen him do that move at Alabama like 50 million times, right? And and immediately I'm like, that's a touchdown. Like that, that's fucking bullshit. Like, what are we doing here? I was gonna say that that sounds like a little bit of a tough, tough view for you, but it sounds like you had a, you had a good look at it and you were on top of it. So good work by you up in 244. Well, is there is there a better feeling than being at a game and and just uh, calling something in real time and everybody doubting it, and then the minute it's reversed and they show they show it on the the big board, you got the guys in front of you dapping you up. Man, I don't know how you saw that, man. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel good about it when I do it do it on TV from the couch, but in person and all the other schmucks around you don't don't see it. You're getting getting some street cred up in the stands. Yeah, you're like a real time Pereira. Like, who doesn't want to be a Pereira in real time? Yeah, Pereira's the guy. That's for sure. So, um, so that play, you know, I don't know what you thought. I thought that that's a winning play. You know, if I'm acting like one of these these honks, these beat reporter honks, that's a winning play. The other winning play, I thought, fourteen seven, Eagles are driving third and long. They're on the outskirts of field goal range, right? Uh, I think it was like third and 13. He, they call a pass. He hits his back foot, gets the ball out for like a four or five yard gain into the sideline. And uh, Elliot comes out and nails a 50 yard field goal. How many times have we watched the guy before Hertz, who was the quarterback in that same situation, or even just watching around the league? You know, third and long, you're you're kind of on the right in that field goal range, and instead of getting the ball out and picking up a couple yards, you take a sack. Oh, we've seen that plenty of times. So yeah. I, I just took note of that, and I said, you know what? That this is a guy who understands the situation. Yeah, absolutely, and I I think you get that in a guy that 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 played at Alabama and. You know, not trying to do too much or, or play out of his ability, just uh, take, taking what's given, uh, playing smart football. And you got to give Elliott some credit. I mean, that guy's been knocking him through this year. It's been it's been a real plus. He's been automatic. Of course, once we say that, there'll be an issue. But he's been automatic. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you wanted to, to keep going through your timeline or what, but um, – I mean, I think my big takeaway, and and I'm going to pat myself on the back here or or pump my own tires a little bit. I did say before this season that the success of this team kind of weighed on the performance of the offensive and defensive line. And and early in the year, you know, when these QBs were picking us apart, we weren't weren't getting any pressure from the four-man rush. And I think in recent weeks and and definitely yesterday or Sunday, uh, we we saw the D-line getting home and getting pressure on Simeon all day. Granted, um, New Orleans was missing their two starting tackles, but you got to play the guys that line up in front of you. And the, the D-line got it done. And then the offensive line is obviously killing it with the run game. Uh, the protection for Hertz has been better in recent weeks. Um, but there were a couple plays in that game. There was a play in the first half where Kelsey pulled and he took one guy out. And then he took another guy out and sprung a big run there. And then you got Jordan Mailata. I forget who it was. Uh, it was kind of like a, a broken play. Hertz was scrambling. And Mailata just took his left hand and shoved this guy in the chest, a D lineman, right to the ground. Like, these guys are awesome. Like, I mean, they're road graders. I mean, and so, you know, here you have a strength of the team. And, like, you know, you got to get, you got to tip the cap to Sirianni. Granted, everybody was calling for it. Eagles went over. Obviously, 200-plus yards yesterday, but they've had, for the for four straight games, 175 yards rushing. 
It's the first time they've done that since 1950. Wow, it's a big pull out of you, Bob. I mean, it just it just speaks to Pioneer strength, right? And and it also speaks a bit to the pressure Hertz put on puts on some of these teams. Obviously, some of those yards are his, but they, there's gaping holes for these guys to run through. And um, and, and there's one there's one running back in particular I got an issue with. Booby. Uh, uh, Miles Sanders. That fucking guy comes back from in. First of all, it's like a big reveal. It's like a movie trailer. He come, he's coming back after how many weeks on his Instagram. I'm back. Drops the fucking ball on the five-yard line. Drops they, the ball on the five-yard line. They went right back to him when they were, when they were deep in their own territory, like the, the next drive or the drive after. They went right back to him, and he bobbled the ball in the backfield and almost fumbled it again. Luckily, he was ruled down or that his forward progress was stopped, but... I mean, that guy's putting the ball on the ground. He dropped the pass um, later in the game when the Eagles were kind of trying to, you know, melt it away and, and kill some clock and move the sticks. He's just, I mean, he shows bursts and, and, you know, he's got some speed, but between the fumbles, the drops, and sometimes he, it's one too many cuts to the outside with him. I, oh, I, like I, he I did just, one of them yesterday, yeah. Yeah, I just, I just can't. I don't know. People love, like speak very highly of Miles Sanders. I, I don't think he's like a top tier or top half of the league running back. No. And, and like it's, you know, you'll get in a situation where it's like third and seven and Sanders can like get either he can either bounce it and try to get the first down and it'll be or he gets tackled and it's like it'll be third and three. But like instead of bouncing it for the chance that you get the first down. Why don't you run through a fucking guy up the field and get it to third and one? He does that all the time. And then he drops the ball on his own five-yard line. Like, that was so – that really pissed me off. I was on my feet yelling, send him to the fucking locker room. Send him to the goddamn locker room. And then later – I don't know if you know this. Like, the next drive, you mentioned, like, they gave it to him again. Eagles were driving. Uh, it might have been the same drive where Hertz hit that little out route on thir- third and long to make the field goal. But – they lost Sanders in coverage, and he's down the right sideline, like on the five-yard line, and Hurts floats a ball up there. It could have been thrown harder, right? Whatever. He's scrambling. Sanders stands there with his hands up, doesn't even move back to the football. He yeah, lets the guy he's falling back on his ass. The other direction. Yeah, you got to come back to the ball. And he he was there with his with his hands, hands out, you know, like he was uh, – I, I don't even know, but he was ha- hands out. And falling backwards onto his ass, you got to go back to the football, brother. Yeah, and I don't look. They won great. I don't want this to be a bitch session, but you know. And then you hear Sirianni after the game. Well, why did you go back to Sanders? Well, it's all about it's all about having a dog mentality. You know, when a receiver drops a pass, when a lineman jumps off sides, what do we do? We go back to him. Guess what, Nick? I hate to break it to you. I know you're a player's coach. I know you love to pump these guys' tires, jumping off sides. Dropping a pass, it's not the same as fumbling the football on your own fucking five-yard line. And Sanders has done this multiple times. Remember the Detroit game a couple years ago where everybody tried to pin the loss on uh, uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside? I was at that game, sweating bullets. Yeah, but hot day, right? Oh, yeah. Sanders dropped the ball, right? They go right back to him, drops the ball again, fumbles the ball. It's like the guy has, like... It, when when one when one mistake happens, there's always a second or a third. Yeah, not not a good trend to see out of a guy that that you want to rely on. It's 
one thing if it happens once in a while and, and you correct it and, and you're better for it. But when it uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, when, when one thing, yeah, when one thing happens after the next, you know, he doesn't he doesn't respond well to, to making mistakes is basically the point I'm trying to make. And yeah, no, no mental. T- and the thing was, it really pissed me off when when after that fumble, um, they got out, they got out to kind of like midfield or it might have been the next drive. Howard comes in. They must have handed the ball four or five times in a row to Howard, and he's just popping him for 10, popping him for 10. It was unbelievable. Yeah, Howard's certainly the guy. Uh, I've been on this podcast and, and kind of questioned that and, and knocked him a little bit, but he's certainly looking like a guy that, that they can't afford to be without. You look at that fourth quarter when the Saints got back into the game a little bit um, and the Eagles were trying to take the air out of the ball like they did against Denver. Well, they weren't able to do it. And I think a big part of the reason why is because Jordan Howard went out with that injury. And uh, But he, he's been great running downhill. Um, so here I am. I got my hand up. I, I was wrong on Jordan Howard. Um, Come on, man. Yo, yo, call him by his nickname. What, what they're calling him in the streets. What are they calling him? Joe Ho. Joe Ho, baby. I like that. Um, but no, yeah, definitely a guy we're, we're going to need going forward for, for the style that we're playing. It's it's a good fit. I didn't realize that he's only 27. Like, I think part Every of the reason year we talk about his age and we're like, I had no clue this guy's 22. It's like every year. I, I think part of the reason I was like kind of knocking him is because I thought he was like maybe 32. But the dude's 27. You know why? Because like he he he. Like when he came over from the Bears, it was like, are we getting who are we getting? Are we getting like Matt Forte? It was like because they're they like kind of like blend together, you know what I mean? Like Matt Forte and Jordan Howard. Right. No, but I thought it was also impressive. Um, Saints had the number one ranked de- uh, rushing defense coming into that game. I think seventh overall, below average against the pass, but. You you talk about the success in the running game. A big part of that is hurts. You know, like. The Saints are good against the run, but they haven't seen an attack like this with a guy like Hertz that's uh, dual threat and, and is an added element to, to the running game that a lot of teams don't have. So just another uh, another notch in the belt for, for, for Team Jalen. Yeah, and I'll say another thing, too. You know, you worry sometimes with a guy that – I actually think Hertz is a solid passer. I mean, he's up to 62% on the season. But like when 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 the anti Hertz gang says, oh, he can't pass, you know, they'll figure him out. The Saints saw this guy last year. I mean, this was no secret. Like they saw him. He torched them last year. He torched them again yesterday. Like this guy's not a one hit wonder. It's not like, you know, a pitcher where, oh, yeah, you might get a, get get them one time through the lineup. No, no, no. He's third, fourth, fifth time through the lineup. He's he's mowing these guys down. So that's always good to see. Yeah, that's that's super encouraging. You took the words right out of my mouth with the the pitcher in the first time through the lineup. But no, that that's that's a great point. And um, the other the other guy I gotta gotta give give my give his flowers to him is uh, big play Slay. Guy puts it uh, in the end zone again. I mean, I mean, come on, I mean, come on. he was standing right there. I mean, like, I mean, you and I could have caught that round in. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was gonna get there. I was gonna gonna give him a few flowers, but. I mean, Trevor Simeon was was terrible. Um, I'm confident that you or I could have could have picked that ball off. Um, so hopefully, he can bring that game down the stretch here and against uh, a little bit stiffer quarterback competition. Um, but 
good to, yeah, good to see from, from Big Play. I know he went into the concussion protocol late. Was that what it was, concussion? Yeah. And what about Howard? I, I didn't take a look before the pod, but any update on Howard? Well, I know he didn't go back to the sideline. Or sorry, I know he didn't go back to the locker room during the game. I think he stayed on the sideline. He kind of got flipped over and looked like a scorpion with like how he landed on his neck. So I don't know if it was his back or his neck or if they were just kind of taking it easy. But my understanding was he did not go back to the locker room during the game. Okay. Yeah, that was that was kind of a freaky play. I honestly thought at first glance that the guy fell on him a little bit late. He was obviously already going down to the ground. So I was like, why the fuck is this guy falling on him? But hopefully he's okay because, like I said, he's been killing it. And we're going we're gonna to need him down the stretch to, to for those downhill runs and that smash mouth football that we've been playing. Um, you know, you know what else was nice, G. You know, we talked either last week or the week before about how we love to see more out of the tight end position. Yep. Man, God, it looks good. It's like the first time in a while where the Eagles throw the bag at somebody and the guy looks better. Like we gave the we gave the bag to Wentz and he just became a nine to five quarterback. I mean, if this is Goddard with it with an extension, like give me Goddard. I I I love Goddard. I loved seeing him. Uh, working on Malcolm Jenkins in early oh. early in the game, the the first drive or two, Jenkins was on Goddard and Goddard was was feasting. So that was that was awesome to see. Did you have anything else on the game? Nothing else on the game. Maybe just a couple points on the Eagles and where they stand now and and what's coming and a few statistics that I think are encouraging. Um, the Eagles right now are ninth in the NFL in average scoring margin. Every single team ahead of them in average scoring margin has a winning record. The Eagles are third in the NFL in rush attempts per game, 30.7. The last three games, they're averaging 42.7 rushes a game. They are literally taking the air out of the football and pounding teams. And then lastly, they have a positive turnover margin on the year. Uh, you know, I don't want to be the guy that, that, that says Super Bowl or anything like that, but when you talk about a team that can make the playoffs and perhaps put the fear of God into some, some higher-ranked or, or better uh, teams by record, I mean, a team that is positive in the turnover margin, a team that runs the football, particularly to the, to the uh, averages that they're running it, and uh, – <laughs> And is is in this, the type of scoring margin that they're at. I mean that 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 will scare some teams in the playoffs. So you couple that with the fact that Sirianni's a new coach, and you don't know what what the hell this guy's going to pull out in the playoffs. Oh, if, if they make the playoffs, I would not want to play the Philadelphia Eagles. No, I'm with you. I think they're I think they'd be a scary team the way they're playing right now. And you brought up um, the rushing attempts. And you look at how the defense struggled early in the year. Now, I'm not I'm not saying Jonathan Gannon is vastly improved or, or anything like that, but they're playing complementary football. And I know that's like a a a honk term or a reporter term, but no, they, they, they 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 truly are. And with running the ball forty to fifty times a game, using up that top, it can make up for the shortfall that is Jonathan Gannon. Because the defense isn't fucking gassed every time they go out on the field. The Eagles are dominating T.O.P., the defense is resting, and the front four is putting in the work. 
that's that's how you that's how you win football games in November and going forward. So I completely agree. Um, this is this is a dangerous team that that people don't want to play right now. Yeah, and you couple that with a quarterback who's continuing to grow every week. You couple that with a, a number one receiver who's looking better and better. Man, this is for for all you people that are that are talking about draft picks at this stage in the season. Go fucking watch the Sixers, okay? Go fucking go fucking keep your process bullshit over there. It's Thanksgiving week. We have meaningful fucking football. We need to go to the goddamn playoffs. We're a half game out of the wild card, with 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 no flights left, a soft schedule. Um, you know. The division games are, are are tough against the Giants and Washington, but you you couldn't ask for for anything more, honestly, at this point in the season. Like we were told, it's a rebuilding year, and it's not because our quarterback is improving, our coach is improving, and our offensive and defensive lines are are playing well. I mean, how can you complain? I mean, as a Penn State fan. You get roped into this is our year, this is the year, and you, you, you get your dick kicked in by the middle of October. This is su- such a better scenario. This is this is a plus. We were told this is a rebuilding year. It's November 23rd, and we're a half game out in the wild card with a soft-ass schedule left and a, a lot of things trending the right way. This is enjoyable. We said it last week. The teams in front of us stink. Like, like. You can't tell me the Panthers, the Saints, and they beat those teams. The, even the Vikings, they stink. These teams are terrible. Yeah. Yeah, the, I, I think the Vikings are – they're kind of like Jekyll and Hyde. They can play really well. They can play really bad. They're just not consistent, and obviously Kirk Cousins never gets it done. Another team I got my eye on that's in that mix, I think they're 5-5, five and five, is San Francisco. Obviously, we talk about Shanahan and how everybody strums him off in, in the national media, but um, they're improving, and they, they've got good pieces, so – that's a team to keep an eye on. I don't know what their schedule looks like, but we're in the mix. Um, five and six, six games to go. I mean, what 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 do you think gets in? Nine wins, ten wins, eight wins, probably nine, ten. Yeah, it's got to be what? I mean, the new the new schedule, seventeen games. I mean, nine and ten. I think ten definitely gets you in. I think nine, you have a chance. Yeah, especially because the Eagles hold all the tiebreakers. Yeah, so they would have to go five and one to get to ten wins, and four and two to get to nine. And like we've talked about with the schedule, I think I think it's doable. So, really exciting stuff. And the other question I wanted to ask you, Bob, if if things go south, and I'm not talking like complete debacle or anything, but if the postseason isn't in the cards, has Jalen Hurts at least earned the right to be your starting quarterback next year? Are we to that point yet? No question. There's no question in my mind this guy's the starter. This guy is the starter for next year and the foreseeable future as long as he's on that team-friendly rookie contract. In fact, you know, I, I don't know when Howie would consider negotiating an extension, but looks pretty good to me. I mean, he, he's doing a lot of things that Russell Wilson did early in his career. They ran the ball, um, you know, escapability, the smoothness and escaping and picking up first downs that are, I mean, the, the, the plays that he makes are fucking backbreaking to the opponent. Like if we were on the other side of some of the plays that this guy's making, we would be losing our shit. That's so true. That that last touchdown run that 
to seal the game. That that foot in the ground and cut and, and finish it off was electric. But no, I I agree. And and we've we talked before also about about this draft. And you know you got the draft and stashers and the processors and we need to get the highest pick possible. Well, how can you watch Jalen Hurts and what he's done this year and how he's progressed and think that you're going to get something better in this in this 2022 draft class? Yeah, you want to sign up for Kenny Pickett? The guy's been a pit for like fucking 10 years. Yeah, I mean, it, if you think that you you can improve the quarterback position next year through through this upcoming draft, you don't know anything about football. I'm sorry. Well, you know why? It's because a lot of people watch the Eagles and they don't watch college. We watch enough college to know that this upcoming draft year might be the biggest crapshoot of all time. You had COVID years, uh, giving people extra eligibility. Guys are older, right? Um, so, you know, you, I mean, look at Derek King down in Miami. Not that he's a draft prospect. The guy's fucking 24 playing against 18-year-olds, dude. Like, this is the most unrealistic draft class in terms of figuring out where a guy projects in the NFL. Um, so for me, I say, hey, you know, great move by Howie, kind of accumulating picks, um, whether they're at the back, whether they're at the front. I think it's like throwing darts at a freaking dartboard. Uh, hopefully you hit on some. Yeah, and and we've been we've or Hertz has shown this year that he's worth worth a shot next year and worth worth building around. Use those three first rounders to to build around him, whether it's on offense or more. I don't know, but can could definitely use some some more talent on that defense. Um, so I think I think that's that's the way to go going forward. But I got nothing else on the birds right now. We'll look forward to uh, them playing the Giants on Sunday. And we'll go from there. Any Anything else on the birds from you, Bob? Yeah, maybe just one question that I want to pose to the audience, pose to you. Absolutely. Here we are, right, through week, what, 11? Yep. You've seen Hertz play through 11. You've seen Wentz play through through 10, right? They had a bye. Would you, would you undo what you did knowing what you know now in the offseason where you shipped Went out for a second conditional first and made Hurts your starter. Would 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 you or would the fans undo that? I know my answer, and I hope I know what the fans' answers are. I mean, that, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's essentially a rookie during a COVID year where there was no like OTAs, no you know co- coaching the boys up, all on Zoom. Who's out playing a sixth-year veteran that you gave a hundred million dollars to? So, don't talk to me about draft picks. Don't talk to me about moving up and doing the deal to go get a guy like Kenny Pickett. This guy is the quarterback of the future. Lock it in. I love it. All right, moving along here. Let's take a look around the league in Week Eleven. We'll start by recapping our fade the shade picks for the NFL. Um, I had the Saints. You know, I, I don't need to go into that one. Um, maybe an emotional um, divestment there, but lost on that. But then, I, then I won the other three. I had the Bears. Uh, they covered. I had them before the Lamar Jackson injury, by the way, which honestly probably helped me because uh, the Bears are disgusting and, and probably would have got blown out if Lamar played. I had the Bengals, who routed the lowly and falling Las Vegas Raiders, and I had the Dolphins over the Jets. And one of the reasons I picked that game, I was looking at the board and I kind of wasn't sure where to go with, with my last pick. 
And I just remember what I heard a guy say one time, and he said, if you ever feel like betting the New York Jets, lay back down until that feeling goes away. So I saw I saw the Jets playing a game, and I knew that wasn't the right side, so I hopped on the Dolphins to go 3-1 on Fade the Shade. Up to 24 and 25 on the year. I'm I'm coming for that 500 mark. I'm hoping to go way over it and and make some cash this year. Bomb, you had the Eagles. Great pick. Uh, sadly, your only win of the day. Green Bay lost to Minnesota. I looked it's, at that line and I said, why is Green Bay a one-point favorite? This is a sucker line, and I did it anyway. You got sucked in. Um, you had Tennessee laying nine and a half or ten against the Houston Texans and the Texans won outright. It's it's crazy what's going on in the league this year. I feel like once a week there's one huge dog, some shit team that just beats a good team and there's no rhyme or reason. And then Sunday night, I mean, you had the Chargers on Vega the Shade. I had the Chargers uh, unofficially, but, you know, I had the cash on them, minus six and a half. And what a fucking backbreaker that was. They – had a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. I think they gave up 24 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, they were up seven with like four minutes left, and Justin Herbert throws a ball that goes off the helmet of, uh, I believe it was Hayward. Flies like 30 feet in the air, and one of the Steelers' DBs gets under it. They go in and score, and that blows the cover. Chargers won the game. That was a wild ending, but couldn't get it done there. So, Bob, you're at, you're at 24 and 25 as well in the NFL. Um, we just got to keep plugging on that, I guess, but – any any thoughts or, or notes around around the league from Sunday? No, I mean just a weird weird year to handicap, a weird year, you know, in terms of upsets. So I think it comes back to the end of the day that any given Sunday, man, you know, that's why you, know, you look at the Bucks; they're on a two game losing streak. Um, and uh, you know, if you can, if you can get in the playoffs, I think you got a chance. I mean, just look at look at all the chaos that's occurred already this year. Yeah, I don't really see one team that is just like blowing the competition away. Um, Cowboys look like ass. Cowboys look like ass. The Chiefs look good, and the Chiefs won that game with defense. Um, you know, we talked about interior play and line play with the Eagles. I mean, the Chiefs dominated the line of scrimmage in that game, and that's usually the strength of the Cowboys. And I know Amari Cooper was out and CeeDee Lamb went out uh, in the first half of that game, but that that was a beatdown by – Kansas City, and you you usually don't see this, um, but Andy Reid outcoached McCarthy uh, horrifically. Mike McCarthy is a terrible coach. He did not adjust in that game whatsoever. So everybody's talking about, oh, this is this is finally the year for Dallas. Well, look, look at look at your head coach. The guy's a complete joke, and he's going to hold that team back no matter how much talent they have. Um, but now, I mean, that was that was kind of like the game of the day, Chiefs Cowboys, and I watched it. It turned out to be pretty much a dud and yeah complete snooze fest and then the, the crazy ending the sunday night but I, I think that's that's really all i got um on the nfl we'll look forward to thursday we got we got three games on thursday thanksgiving day the 12 30 uh, i think the second game is somewhere in the four o'clock region and then we got we got the night game let me pull up what, what we're working with because usually you get dog shit on thanksgiving but you just drink enough wine or beer and eat yourself into a coma so that it's bearable to watch. We got the Bears at the Lions at 12:30, the Raiders at Dallas at 4:30, and then at night we've got the Bills. The Bills who are also kind of fading. 
after four, a strong four, start. Four and a half, five and a half. I'd say bet everything you have in your app on the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, Buffalo Bills at New Orleans at 820. Bills currently minus four. Hammer the Buffalo Bills. Hammer the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I mean, it might be a good spot for, for them since they've been struggling. And we saw what the Saints were on Sunday. It's, but It's not like the Saints, like, uh, it was a, a uh, easy game. They got pounded. Yeah, yep. Rest. Yep, yeah. Really not minimal prep time, minimal recovery time for all these teams because I think they all played Sunday. Um, but, yeah, look, looking forward to, to getting together and watching some football on Thanksgiving Day, man. So o- always a treat regardless of, of how shitty the teams are. They, they trot out there for Turkey Day. And just because we're, we're so thankful for all of our fans, listeners, subscribers, reviewers, et cetera, Keep an eye on our Instagram. We're going to have a little Thanksgiving Day special. Fade the shade. All three games picked. I gave you mine early. The Buffalo Bills. Hammer them. But we're going to have all three games. We're going to give you a little appetizer in the morning. You know, a, a more of an entree in the afternoon. And then the nightcap with Buffalo. So be on the lookout. That's right. We'll bring it to you Thanksgiving Day. Let's make some cash and be thankful. For family, friends, football, food, and beer. Um, you know what else came out last week? Episode one. Hard Knocks. In-season Hard Knocks. Covering Bomb's favorite quarterback, Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts. Did you get a chance to check it out, Bomb? Um, I know you did. But what were your thoughts? I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you had to say. I did watch the episode. and. You know, I, I had some thoughts, but uh, I'm pretty sure they'll align with what you're about to say. But I'll, I'll throw it over to you because th- this 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 is your bread and butter. Yeah, I mean, I came in with two key thoughts. The first thought, Carson Wentz is a cuck. The second thought, Urban Meyer is an absolute moron. Two things we already knew, right? Uh, we'll start with Carson Wentz. I mean, they led the episode with like 10 minutes on Wentz and his family life. They went in, you know, they got the, the wife and the baby and this and that and he played a Thursday night game, and he's he said, yeah, normally I, I, I look at my iPad and watch the film. Buddy, we know you don't fucking watch the film. There's no fucking way you watch the film. He said, I'm spending a little more family time. It's great to be able to have more family time. It's all this guy. He's a 9-to-5 quarterback. The film created by HBO does not hide that. He's a 9-to-5 QB. All he cares about is is uh, uh, God, family, football in that order. And guess what? doesn't work in Philadelphia, okay? That's number one. Uh, the other thing that really ticked me off, they talked a lot about Frank Reich and Carson Wentz and how they met, and and Reich got into Carson's truck at the out at the uh, the combine or, or I guess the pro day out at North Dakota, and uh, Reich referenced a Bible verse, and Carson turned his his phone over to Frank Reich and said, "Look, that's the Bible verse that's on the the background on my phone." Um, so like just a sickening like sickening like story about like their connection and like yeah i mean great you love the guy as a man you know i don't i don't i don't i don't love people as men or women that are co-workers of mine i look for people that can execute the damn job and it's like these guys look for some like crazy connection so they talked a lot about this this formative relationship that frank reich had with a young carson wentz and now an older carson wentz 
And they didn't fucking touch on anything that happened in the middle. The fact that this fucking guy left town with his tail between his fucking legs after securing the goddamn bag. No one asked him one fucking question about it. This guy avoided the goddamn media all year last year while Jalen Hurts was out there making his first and second starts. This fucking pussy is yelling to the media about how he wants out of town. And HBO is right there with a fucking camera in his living room and nobody has the balls to ask the question. So I'm going to ask you, G. Why the fuck are you a pussy, Carson Wentz? Wow, you you bring up a good point though. He there was it's it's never really been addressed to this day from from Wentz himself about what transpired in Philly and how things went south and why he tucked his tail and left. But that's that's why he's a coward. He didn't face the music about being a man and how great you, great you think Frank Reich is. Listen, this is nothing against Frank Reich. I like Frank Reich. What I'm saying is I don't want to hear that crap. When you refuse to take accountability as a professional, don't hit me with the, 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 uh, the wallpaper on your iPhone for your cute little story for HBO. Answer the damn questions for why you refuse to honor a contract that you just signed that deposited millions of dollars in your bank account and refuse to answer questions for the fans and media. You're a joke. You don't love a guy as a man that, that, that runs and hides in the face of adversity? Not me, no. I love him as a man. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's a, little, a little goofy, but um, didn't, didn't you have a second point on, on hard knocks? Yes, <laughs> second point. Urban, Meyer, Urban Meyer's an idiot, so like, Obviously, the issue with him at the bar uh, after the one game where he was, you know, canoodling with a young lady, uh, allegedly, uh, you you would thought this guy would would be careful about what he puts out in the wild. But then they literally cut the Frank Reich and, he, and he's having a, uh, a meeting with his with his coaches. He goes, hey, guys, did you hear what Urban Meyer said this week during his press conference? No, Frank, what is it? Well, he said at the beginning of the year, we thought we were going to be a man-to-man team. But as the years progressed, we're becoming more of his own team. So what did the Colts do that, that, that week? They ran the ball right down their throats. Urban was giving out, giving out the game plan or the strategy, huh? Yeah. I mean, just not, not good. So, I mean, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to watch, what is it, eight more weeks of this? Is that how many they do, eight? I thought it was just four. I'm guessing. If it's four, thank God. I mean, I don't know if my heart can take eight weeks of watching number two, you know, walking around, talking. I mean, did you see the the footage of him swinging a golf club? I saw it, and I saw it again on our Instagram with, with some fabulous, hilarious commentary and analysis. Was, was, that, was that analysis approved by Golf Tech? Well, I haven't heard anything back from Golf Tech yet. Um, I'm looking to see if I can license their software to actually throw the swing up against a pro. I just can't. Where does this guy find the time between being a family man, a new father, a, a, a three, a owner of three dogs, uh, uh, mowing the properties on his bobcat tractor, um, a hunter, and now he, he hits golf balls too? Is this, is this guy, does this guy work? Every everything but like the short slant is what he's working on, or or like eluding pressure in the pocket. He's got time for everything but that. Yeah, I was gonna say his his uh, 
his short game in football probably mirrors his short game in golf. Can't hit a fucking target from, from uh, you know, 20 feet, 20 yards, whatever you want to call it. Can't fucking hit anybody. Bad mechanics will do that. So that, yeah. that's all I got. I mean, did I go a little hard on the guy? Yeah, I went a little hard on the guy. But guess what? There's nobody in, nobody in Philadelphia that's going to continue to ask these questions, okay? So I'm sorry if I got a little heated at Carson Wentz, all right? I apologize. But are you hearing this on WIP? No, everybody just wants to move on. Well, guess what? I'm not moving on. I would take 130 mil for, for you to, to go on airwaves and blast me on a weekly basis. I'd be happy to do that. You do it for free now. Yeah, seriously. Um, but no, I watched it too. I'm lo- I'm looking forward to episode two at least because uh, Jonathan Taylor and the five touchdown game on Sunday blowing out the Bills. Yeah, I want to I want to see if he was mic'd up for that. Yeah, and you, listen, I mean, I'm the guy that's going to have to go off on the Colts because you're an, you're an owner of uh, Jonathan Taylor and fantasy. You like seeing one struggle because uh, you know it leads more credence to the fact they need to run the ball. Uh, here I am. I don't play fantasy football. You know, I'm, I'm a guy that plays real football. Okay, I watch the Eagles. I gamble. Uh, there's nothing fantasy about this. There's nothing fake about anything I'm talking about through this fucking microphone. Okay, so when I rip Carson Wentz, it's not because some guy in a in a, a 12 team keepers league has him or doesn't have him. It's because I can't stand the fucking guy. Come on, man. Nah. <laughs> That that's fair. I love that. I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm a big fantasy guy, but I I love the uh, I love the real world r- real world takes, and that's that's what we need, and we don't get enough of that in this day and age, bomb. So we appreciate you. Uh, I got nothing else on NFL Week Eleven, and I don't know if you do. Keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. All right, let's go over to college. Like I said, at the jump or out of the gate here, we we got some clarity in, in the college football playoff picture, uh, in part to a blowout loss by the Oregon Ducks. Um, and just to recap, fade the shade, college football week 12. Uh, I had Utah, so thank you very much. I posted a little preview of that from the ESPN FPI and, and their projection ahead of that game and ahead of that pick. So if you weren't on Utah, that's on you. Um, yeah, I had Utah. I had Clemson, who beat Wake Forest, the 10th-ranked team. I had SMU plus the points. Cincinnati blew the doors off of them, so lost that one. And then I had Wisconsin over Nebraska. They did not cover. Um, but I did also go on the Instagram story on Saturday morning. was running a few errands. had gotten word that the Nits – uh, like me, we're, we're battling some cold symptoms, some sinus issues, and something was going around that team. They're bad enough as they are when they're at full health, so I knew it would be an ugly game up in Happy Valley. Told you to go under 46.5. They won 28-0. little bonus pick for you there. I try to uh, – we'll try to do that going forward. If we see something that stands out that, that we really like, we'll put it on the story like Bomb did with Pitt a few weeks back and the Penn State under on Saturday. If it goes on the story, it's it's big time. They don't always hit, but they're big time. Yeah, um, that, that's a, that you know what that is? That's a late breaking. Oh shit, we didn't get this one in type of deal. But it's got to go in. But it's got to yeah. go in. Yeah. Eleven fifty nine, jamming it in. Um, yeah. So I went two and two on the week. 
in college that brings me up to well i don't even know if i want to call it up to but 22 and 30 on the year eight under 500 we're going to chip away i have been doing a little bit better lately uh bomb you had Rutgers plus the points i think it was the right side but they just couldn't do anything on offense um Auburn didn't cover against South Carolina. Iowa didn't cover, and Notre they, Dame blew the doors. I don't even know they got backdoored with like forty seconds left. <laughs> yeah, a couple tough ones were bomb this weekend: the Chargers and then Iowa. And then uh, you did get the win on Notre Dame. They they bashed Georgia Tech. So one and three for bomb this week. Still sitting two games over five hundred at twenty seven and twenty five. Look to build on that in week thirteen. Um, just to run through, you know, the top top 10 or so the, the contenders left for the college football playoff and the results from Saturday you had Georgia the number one team uh, played a scrimmage against Charles Charleston Southern 156 to 7 Alabama squeaked one out over 21st ranked Arkansas 4235 we mentioned Oregon taking the big loss 38-7 at the hands of the Utah Utes Ohio State with a statement game 56-7 over Michigan State that game was over by the end of the first quarter it was 35 nothing Cincinnati with a statement game 48-14 win over uh, SMU, who had eight wins coming into that game. Michigan, ho-hum. They blew out Maryland. Big deal. Uh, obviously, Michigan State at seven. They lost. I don't know what Baby Tua did. They did. They they uh, they put up 18 points. They lost 59-18 to Michigan. Baby Tua is such a bum. Baby Tua the bum. Michigan State, as we mentioned, got routed by Ohio State. They are out of the picture. Notre Dame at eight with the big win over Georgia Tech, 55-zip. Oklahoma State Cowboys shut out Texas Tech. And I think I got to correct myself. Last week, I believe I stated that Okie State was going to play Iowa State. This past week, they were playing Texas Tech. They won 23-0. Wake took the L to Clemson. And at 13, a team that might still be alive, uh, technically speaking, Oklahoma beat Iowa State 28-21. So... Oregon's out of the picture. Michigan State's out of the picture. Um, I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on college football as of now, Bob? It's only just beginning, Jay. This is the first kind of trimming of the tree, so to speak. We're we're pruning the the shrub, and uh, another another limb is gonna be is gonna be pruned this week with the game. And then you got the SEC title game, where another limb is gonna be pruned. Uh, Assuming that that Bama sneaks past uh, Auburn in, in the uh, the Iron Bowl, uh, I'm excited. I mean, this is this like I said, this is peak football. This is peak football. I mentioned Thanksgiving, like it's kind of the beginning of the end. Soak it in, folks. This is it. I got a bone to pick with with the game and how how much hype this receives. You know, is this your, is your Bone to pick of the week? Yeah, you know what? I, I didn't have it. I didn't have it down. I mean, I had a note to, to talk about this bullshit. But, yes, brought to you by Shamrock Sun. This is my bone to pick of the week. The game. I'm watching fucking NFL Sunday on Fox, and Fox is carrying the Ohio State-Michigan game on Saturday. <laughs> and every commercial break, they're going to the preview of the game. They're pumping up the game. And you got... Ryan Day and Harbaugh and all the players, this is the only game that matters. This is the one that counts, the game. You would think, now, this is a rivalry, apparently. That's news to me. I look at um, this matchup in the 21st century, 
since the year 2000, Michigan has won the game three times. Once in 2000, once in 2003, and their last time, 2011. They've never won the game under fucking Jim Harbaugh. So this this is the furthest thing from a game. It's not a game. It's not a rivalry. It's a joke that it's this pumped up. Ohio State blows the doors off this team year in and year out, yet every national pundit and news station or sports carrier carrier will, will pump pump it up and have you think it's uh, it's the college version of the Super Bowl. It's a disgrace. I couldn't agree more. And in fact, you know, I think Ryan Day has a lot of respect for the rivalry and some of the traditions associated with it. But let me tell you something. If Baum was the head coach of the Ohio State University, every every piece of uh, media availability, everything in the newspaper that I spoke about, I wouldn't call it the game. I would call it a game. And I just love to see the people from Michigan's head, head explodes. I know. Wait, what, what, which game are you talking about? Uh, uh, Coach Bottom, we're talking about the game. Oh, you mean a game? It's, it's a fucking game on the schedule for Ohio State. They roll them every year. Yeah, and I, I agree. I, I would call it a game. I would, I would completely downplay it if I was the coach of Ohio State because it's just a joke. You you haven't won in ten years. Your current coach that's been there for what six, seven, eight years now hasn't even beat Ohio State. Like you're you're putting the cart in front of the horse or whatever the fuck you want to say. It's it's just stupid. But it's it's more about this this media hype and getting everybody worked up. And that's why Michigan got uh, got put ahead of Michigan State, even though they had the head to head loss. And yeah, now Michigan State's loss, yada yada. But that's why Michigan's getting jammed up the rankings. We'll probably see it Tuesday night, just so that the game is probably going to be Ohio State up to two or three, and then Michigan's going to be four or five. Make it look as big as possible. So C.J. Stroud and Smith Ajigba, Olave, Garrett Wilson can go into the big house and run all over the Wolverines. It's so true. And then, then by the way, like the Fox promos, you you talked about that with Carball Ryan Day. They show like helmets falling off from like pregame fights. Like, did you see that? The helmet rolling. And you look at the helmet and it's like, wait, what year was this? Like 1993? Like, there hasn't been any bit of juice except for that year with, with the, uh, the, the, the controversial fourth down play with JT Barrett. There's been no juice at all on these games. They, they act like it's a big thing and they hype you up. But, I mean, you know, it might as well just be Ohio State playing against Minnesota. Yeah, it's just it's just another game. But that disgusts me. That's my bone to pick of the week brought to you by our glorious friends at Shamrock Sun, the best sunscreen in the game. Um, I, do want, I do want to mention, I believe the line on that game and, and the game's being played at Michigan, the line is Ohio State minus eight. I really think that's really, really low. So I don't know if it's a trap because when I see that, I want to pounce on it and hammer Ohio State. But, excuse me, Ohio State. But I'm a sucker. So there's something something not right about that line and, you know, how I feel about the – how I feel about the game. So I'm I'm a little uh, I'm a little skeptical of that line and, and what's gonna happen on Saturday because everything my eyes have seen and told me this year tells me that Ohio State is gonna win going away. 
Oregon, for reference, right? You remember the game Oregon goes into Ohio State? Now, Bob took Oregon uh, with the points. It was a 14-and-a-half-point spread. Now, granted, you know, that's at, at Ohio State. I think Oregon is just like Michigan. I think they're the same kind of caliber team, fronted by a, a, a fake hardo head coach who talks about running the ball, but when push comes to shove, they get thrown around like little toddlers. Um, so, you know, you factor in maybe the three points for being on the road at the big house. Um, I think this should be like an 11 and a half or a 12 point game. I mean, eight, eight is outrageous. Yeah, I forget who I was talking to over the weekend, but uh was projecting projecting the line for this game myself. And I said it'll probably be around like 13 and a half, 14. And then I saw eight and I was like, whoa, some, something's going on here. So may, maybe it will be a game this year, but. Where did you see the line? What, what sports book did you see that on? Uh, I saw it on DraftKings. Uh, I was thinking Barstool because Portnoy's a uh, Michigan honk. So the fact that it's on DraftKings leads me to believe that, that that's that's a really weird line. Very weird line. We'll see how it transpires. We'll see what happens this week. And we'll see on Saturday and on Instagram if, if Bomb or I have a selection on the game. Uh, the other game I'm looking at this, this coming weekend is, is obviously Bedlam, uh, the game between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Both teams sitting at 10-1. and one, And... Oklahoma State has has been trending a lot better than Oklahoma lately. I think Oklahoma State has opened at a three and a half or four point favorite at home in the game. Um, I believe with the win over Texas Tech on Saturday that Oklahoma State has locked in a spot in the Big 12 championship game. And Oklahoma would do the same, I believe, with a win over Okie State. And Baylor is the other team in the mix there. I think that they would need to win and Oklahoma would need to lose. Some, something funky, but we could see this matchup two weeks in a row, uh, which would which would make it interesting uh, in terms of resume building for these guys. I know you're not high on the Big 12. I'm not particularly high on the Big 12 this year, but, you know, you have a one-loss team, conference champ, and, and you know, this coming week and then in the championship game, they, they beat a Oklahoma and Oklahoma State back-to-back? I mean, does, does that juice the resume enough to get in? Depends what happens from them, right? I think that I think that's what we just don't know. I mean, if Bama wins, there's two spots that are that are, that are are in, right? You know, you got Georgia and Bama. Ohio State wins out, they're in. Fourth spot, are you gonna, are you really gonna put any of those teams or Oklahoma ahead of, like, Cincy or Notre Dame? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, Oklahoma's looked terrible. I think they passed for under 100 yards in the 28-21 win, win over Iowa State. Like, they just – they're just a mess. I mean, they're playing solid defense, but the competition in the Big 12 this year is kind of weak. So, I'm not really sure what, what to think, but it's just – I feel like we haven't seen – if that we haven't seen this happen where, like, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma play this weekend and then they could play again the following week in the conference title game. Yeah, the team, who win, the team who wins obviously has to win both games. Right, exactly. And it's very hard to beat the same team twice. So this could this could all just be hot air uh, in two weeks, but just figured it'd be interesting to point out. Um, we talked about Cincinnati and their big win over SMU. Made a statement. 
Um, we'll see how the committee weighs that on Tuesday night. They've got East they, Carolina. They, oh, yeah, Gary, Gary, the, the the balls on this guy, Gary Barta, the Iowa athletic director, to say, oh yeah, we we looked at Cincinnati and they they've beaten everybody, but they're 100 101st in strength of schedule. And then in the same breath, you turn around to ESPN's talking heads and they're talking about how SMU is going to be one of the first big tests Cincinnati's had in a while, and they blew their doors off, dude. But now, now you think Tuesday night they're just going to totally downplay it? Hundred percent. Well, you know, SMU, they're they're not a good team. Yeah, they're, they're no good. Yeah, it'll be the same bull, bullshit. You know what I mean? Oh, they need help because guess you'll you'll hear this. Herb Street says this a lot. This is like this is Kirk Herb Street's new line. It's not about what's taking place in front of them. They have to worry about the teams behind them. That's a joke. Yeah, he's he's really weighed on me, or worn on me in this this season and in this college football playoff selection or ranking process, but Cincinnati has ECU on Saturday. I think ECU has seven wins in the American. They're they're kind of in the top top few teams in the American this this season. So won't be an easy game per se for Cincinnati. I think they're a fourteen point favorite on the road. Um but another chance to beat a decent team and improve that strength of schedule. Um I believe Barta on Tuesday night after the last rankings came out was Pointing at Cincinnati's strength of schedule, and it ranks around 100. And he said the committee kind of knocked Cincinnati for that. Well, they pulled up Ohio State's resume. Their strength of schedule was like 63rd, and they're in the Big Ten. You would think it would be a lot higher. I mean, how do they not get knocked for that? I know they got the the win over Michigan State this week, which will probably help, but it, it just makes no sense what, what these guys are talking about. Imagine all the Big Ten teams weren't overhyped and overranked. Their strength of schedule is probably closer to 80 or 90. No, I mean, I know you've said it before. I, I don't think it's a uh, it's it's a completely unfair point that the Big Ten might be a little overrated. I had I had somebody text me this weekend, oh, do you think Ohio State is is legit now since they blew out Michigan State? Well, I don't know. I mean – Michigan State lost to Purdue. Then they looked like shit against Ohio State. Were they really ever that good? I mean, they beat Michigan. I don't think Michigan is very good. So Exactly. I, th- I think you've got a point there, Bob. Well, thank you. Um, anything else before before we rank them this week? No, let's, let's give the people what they're, what they're clamoring for here. Yeah, so I think, I think you're up first this week. But... As I said, I'll let you gather your thoughts. As I said, the Oregon loss um, and the Michigan State loss provides a little bit more clarity, and and we'll get more this week, obviously, with the game between Ohio State and Michigan and Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and obviously Cincinnati having their last regular season game as well. But but for now, we'll we'll rank them as we've got them today, and we'll start with Bomb. What do you got for us, Bomb? Yeah, the Oregon loss did not – did not really affect much for, for me. I'll take you through my my six teams that I have here for, for last week. And then, then in spite of the fact that every team on here won, I shuffle. I, I I take all these data points into consideration. I'm like these honks at the committee. So last week I had Georgia at one, Bama at two. I had Cincinnati at three, Notre Dame at four, Ohio State at five, Oklahoma State at six. This week, no surprise, Georgia at one. 
the shuffle's going to come at two. I watched that Alabama and Arkansas game, and I watched the Alabama and LSU game. And I, I can't help but think to myself, is Alabama even that good this year? I mean, Nick Saban's supposed to be a defensive extraordinaire. We've seen it year after year. Their defense is getting gashed on, like, huge plays down the field. So I'm sorry. I have to take Bama out of the number two slot. I'm sliding Cincinnati from three to two. So I got Georgia. I got Cincinnati. Number three, a team that was on the outside looking in and, in my opinion, did a lot to help their resume this week. The Ohio State Buckeyes, welcome to the top four. You're in at number three. Number four, I got Alabama. So Alabama drops from two to four. Ohio State rises from five to three. Uh, Cincinnati rises from three to two. Notre Dame at five. They fall from four to five. But the reason why Alabama has to be has to be four and Georgia has to be one is it sets up an elimination game. So I think Georgia at one, Cincinnati at two, Ohio State at three, and now seemingly if Georgia takes care of business, Alabama would be out. You slide Notre Dame in. Oklahoma State, if they take care of business and any one of these other teams trip up, they could be in. So that's what I got. Just to recap, Georgia at one, Cincinnati at two, Ohio State at three, Alabama at four, Notre Dame at five, Oklahoma State at six. So unlike the committee, I look at these games, it's fluid, okay? I don't just throw teams in front of teams just because it's cute, like Michigan, Michigan State. I don't leave things status quo. We watched another game this week. Alabama did not look good. I don't think Arkansas is a world-beating team. Alabama has to move down. So that's how I view it. I like it. No, I've, I've had Alabama a little bit lower in my rankings than two. Uh, I think from, from the hop and, and definitely after the LSU game, I, I knocked them down a few points. But you're, you're right. They have not been impressive. Um, the, the Arkansas game, they, they were scrambling and – they got it done, but they just don't look like the the Alabama of of usual or of of normal that that we see year in and year out. So, um, yeah, I think it, I think it's pretty straightforward this week. Uh, last week for me, I had Georgia at one, Cincinnati at two, Oregon at three, Ohio State at four, Alabama at five, and Oklahoma State at six. Um, no change in the top two for me this week. I got Georgia at one. I got Cincy at two. And I think Cincy obviously cemented that spot with the big win over SMU on Saturday. Uh, I got Ohio State jumping up to three as well. Um, you know, we talk about the Big Ten. Are they overrated or not? But I mean, you can't deny what, what Ohio State's been doing. You, you play the teams that are in front of you, just like Cincinnati does, just like Georgia does and everybody else. Um, they took care of business and made a statement on Saturday. So I got them up to three. I got Alabama at four. Not ready to have Oklahoma State or Notre Dame, uh, and definitely not Michigan jump jump the uh, Crimson Tide. So we'll we'll hold Alabama at four. Um, I got Oklahoma State at five. They're, they're playing good ball. They're playing great defense. Um, would be interesting if if they can win against Oklahoma and win the Big Twelve championship. Do they have a shot? Um, the committee has them at nine last week. We'll see where they put them Tuesday night. I've got them at five. And round out my top six, I've got Notre Dame, uh, another team that's taking care of business, uh, winning big. Uh, they have the loss to Cincinnati, uh, one of the best losses on the year. 
And another team that, you know, they're just playing the teams in front of them. They have wins over Wisconsin. They've beaten Purdue. Purdue has beat Michigan State and Iowa. I mean, if if people want to factor that in, that's not a bad win for the Irish. Um, So that's where I'm at for, for this week. I got Georgia, Cincy, Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma State, and Notre Dame. And we will see on Tuesday night what this Bozo committee puts out. So we have it the exact same, except you you have you have the Pokes at five, Notre Dame at six, and I have the flip flop. That's right. Man. I don't want to completely dive into this, but I heard it watching the Oklahoma State Texas Tech game on Saturday night. Like at the end of the night, it was late game, and it was like some second rate Fox broadcast, but. This guy was talking about a two-loss Alabama team being in over Cincinnati and how that that has to happen. <laughs> like, what, what kind of world are we living in here? You know, how much of it is them just pumping it for the rate? Like, ESPN has become almost like they, they don't they no longer report on sports. Like, they no longer report on scores and standings. Like, they're pumping their own narrative into it. I mean, it's like. In a lot of ways, it's like some of the political uh, networks, right? They're pumping opinion into what should be a pretty straightforward thing. Cincinnati's undefeated and beat Notre Dame. Alabama, say what you want about Texas A&M. They stink, okay? They stink. They've shown that they stink. Um, Alabama has not looked good against uh, an LSU team with a dead man uh, coaching. Coach O, Arkansas, who's Arkansas. And, you know, do you even think because because the only way that happens is if they give Georgia like the game of the of the year, right? So if it's like some sort of crazy game where maybe Bama gets, you know, loses on a last second play, that's the only way you could say, all right, does two loss makes even come into the conversation? But that assumes that Alabama keeps it close. I think Georgia blows them out. I'm not sure what to think is going to happen in that game. We'll see after this weekend what the line is come Sunday or Monday. And then I'll have a, a better idea of what I think is going to happen. I mean, you can't deny the year that Georgia's had. Um, and I said it when I picked Clemson in week one over Georgia. The next big game Georgia wins will be the first. Um, I'm standing by that. Until until I see them beat Bama, I, I, I'm not going to be fully sold. But they certainly they certainly look like they have the team to do it this year. But you know I what? Just th- you know what this year's Georgia and Bama game reminds me of? What's that? Reminds me of the SEC title game back in, was it 07 or 08? Where this basically served as the passing of the torch for the SEC. Florida wore the white unis with a white F helmet. They got blown the fuck out. And they won the SEC in the national title the previous year. They beat Alabama the previous year, I think pretty, pretty badly. And Saban has this team on the ascent. Everybody and their mother thinking Florida's going to win at Tebow at QB. They're going back to back, and they got absolutely throttled. That game stuck with me. I mean, I'm talking about it now, you know, 15 years later. I think that that that, that game is going to look a lot like this game, uh, this SEC title game, where everyone thinks Bam is just going to, you know, potentially take care of business. And I think this is bigger than just Bam at Georgia. This could be the passing of the torch in the SEC. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. 
That's good work out of you, Bomb. That, that's something to keep an eye on. But yeah, I just I just thought it was ridiculous that this guy's like, well, yeah, I mean, a two loss Alabama, if one of the losses is Georgia, has to be in over Cincinnati. Like, are you kidding me, buddy? Like, they're gonna play Georgia, and like you said, if it's like some fluky shit that they lose on on like a last play or a bad call or something then, then maybe you have the conversation but we don't need to watch Alabama play them again if it's not a close game yeah because if they have two losses they have to be the four seed right unless you're putting unless you're just totally faking the rankings like you're just gonna say oh we'll put Bama three and we'll put the number three team four so they don't rematch each other in the semi like because Georgia will be the I think we're as long as they don't get blown out by Bama in the SEC title game, Georgia is the number one seed right now. Lock it in; they're the number one seed. Yeah, I'm with you. We'll see what happens. Anything else on on college football this week, Bob? No, I mean just keep keep. You know, you'll be listening to this Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Remember the day after Thanksgiving, great football day. Buckle up, lock in, eat the leftovers, watch the different rivalry games. I think we got Ole Miss, Mississippi State. You got the Egg Bowl, that's a beautiful rivalry game. You got the the Iron Bowl. Um, who's Penn State have? Penn State plays Michigan State on Saturday. Oh man, that's a that's a big rivalry game, right? I mean that's. That's one of the big games where the vaunted student section really shows up in droves, right? Oh, no, they don't even drive back from Thanksgiving. No. Yeah, I mean, they didn't even stay for Rutgers this past week, and the game's in East Lansing. It. Oh, it's I, in East Lansing. <laughs> yeah. Two two teams with a fork in them. But, mm-hmm. yeah, s- s- send your lady or, or your partner shopping Friday and kick back and, and enjoy the uh, – the Friday slate, the bonus slate, the bonus action. Um, another team that'll be in action on Friday, as they are every Black Friday, is the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, just a quick week in review. They beat Calgary last Tuesday by a score of 2-1. to one. It was a good effort there. Um, lost on Thursday night in the shootout to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Claude Drew scored the goal with 10 seconds left in the game to tie it, sent it to overtime. That was an awesome overtime, by the way. Um, that 3v3 overtime in the NHL is unmatched in terms of intensity and action. It, that was awesome, and it was a shame that, that nobody scored and that it had to be settled in a shootout, but took the loss there, got the all-important point. And Saturday night, I didn't catch much of it, was was watching football and tended to some other things, but they lost to the Boston Bruins 5-2. to uh, Heard it was a pretty ugly game. They, get, they got romped pretty good. Um, on the injury front, Ryan Ellis came back for one game against the Stars a few weeks ago. He's out, I believe, another six to eight weeks. And Kevin Hayes re-injured himself as well uh, in the Calgary game. He did score the goal, pointed to the sky in honor of his late brother, Jimmy. It was good to see. Very cool moment. But he took a spill awkwardly later in that game and um, hasn't been available since. Uh, I believe I read something here Monday. Uh, that his status is now week to week. Um, two tough losses. I mean, you look at the Flyers, they're a team that doesn't have that elite star power, um, especially on the offensive side, obviously. And you're missing your your second line center. You're missing your your top pair defenseman for an extended period of time. And it's it's slowly starting to catch up with them in the standings. They're in the middle of the metro. I mean, the points pace is okay right now, but They've got a gauntlet coming up this week. They have back-to-back Tuesday, Wednesday in Florida with Tampa Bay and Florida. Um, 
two strong teams there. And then Friday they host Carolina in the Black Friday game at Wells Fargo Center. Um, Carolina's 14-2. and two. They're absolutely rolling. So not, not good news on the injury front. Um, I don't know what the answer is. They've obviously leaned on strong goaltending to, to stay afloat thus far in the season. Carter Hart's been the one promising aspect uh, of the season so far. He's bounced back nicely from the horrific year last year. Uh, Martin Jones started strong, but he's looked a little um, little worse in, in his last few starts against Dallas and against Boston. So we'll, we'll see how it holds up. Um, but I believe this brings us to your bone to pick of the week, Bob, um, regarding the Flyers and, and the shootout loss to Tampa Bay. Um, I think you texted me that night and said you had a bone to pick with some of the stuff that transpired there. Well, why don't you do do the listeners a favor? Why don't you recap the final maybe minute of that game into overtime and then the shootout? So obviously, Hart gives up the squeaker. Yeah, Hart Hart gave up a tough goal with maybe two or three minutes left in that game. Just a guy along the boards off to his side and Hart's down against the post. And I think it was Stamkos for Tampa Bay just threw one threw one at Hart. Um, kind of out of the blue, and it just snuck under the pad. It falls back over the goal line. Um, really tough to see because, like I said, he has been playing very well. And then uh, Flyers pull the goalie almost immediately with really not a lot of time left in the game. Uh, they get some pressure, and then with 10 seconds left, they get an ozone face-off. Uh, they win it to Giroux, who's on the wall, and three guys kind of skate in front of the net, in front of Vasilevsky there take his eyes away and Drew just kind of flicks one on. It wasn't a very hard shot, but found the back of the net. And then uh, you get to overtime, back and forth action, good chances for both teams. I believe Cam Atkinson had a breakaway at one point in the session and wasn't able to capitalize there. Um, and it goes to the shootout. And I believe Couturier shot first for the Flyers. He missed and Stamkos and Point scored on their first two attempts for the Lightning, and then Giroux, uh, I believe, was the last shooter for the Flyers, and he did not score. So it was just Flyers missed, Tampa score, Flyers missed, Tampa score, and it was done like as quick as, as quick as possible as it can be in the shootout. That, that's how it transpired. So thanks for providing that that context, and I'll I'll give you my my bone pick of the week here, uh, presented by Shamrock Sun. I flipped the game on with a minute left, and I watched all this transpire. I watched the overtime. I watched the shootout again. Like you know, they don't even score. You know, they, Tampa Bay comes down the ice with a guy. These guys are like sharpshooters, you know, like snipers. They don't even score. So the game, the game ends, and they go to the studio. They got, they got Hatcher. I think it was was it um, uh, was it Hartnell or was Hartnell? It? Yeah, Hartnell. And you got, and then they go over to Jim Jackson, who's a phenomenal play by. I love Jim Jackson. They got Jonesy on the on the collar. They go back to them, and they and you know the Flyers just just got shut out in the shootout. They lost to Tampa Bay, and I'm watching the post game, thinking to myself, did the Flyers just lose the first game after like a 20 game winning streak? I mean, it was unbelievable. I also want to want to add something about this game. The Flyers were up two nothing in the first period, so that that just adds insult to injury to the point you're about to make. So. So I mean, like they're, you know, you know how they do it, like between like the studio, the studio that's not at the game, and then like the the, like the, the crossover. Box. What's that? The crossover. Yeah, they do the cross. First of all, why is that even a thing? Like, oh, let's go back to the guys that called the game. Like, who gives a shit? The game's over. Like, why yeah, are we even a, there? 
and that's a basketball term the crossover like they just do that like we do that in every sport like let's go back to tom mccarthy who is a pathetic play-by-play guy and get his take on bryce harper's fifth inning home run well it was great it was a fantastic home run it was great it's like why why do but anyway we do it and you know i like jonesy i like i like jim jackson i like the studio show I mean, you would have thought this team just like beat they they beat the Russians the previous twelve games, and like uh, you know this is the first game that they lost. Everyone was so happy. In fact, they even made it a point to say they were thrilled with the third period in the effort. Really, like after you gave up a squeaker goal. So the post game commentary is my my bone to pick of the week. It was just a really bizarre kind of sequence of comments, and like you know you when I watched that that over time and then saw how the flyers do in, in shootouts. Like wouldn't, wouldn't a better thing to say after the game, like, Hey, guess what? We know we're not going to win in the shootout because Tampa has like sharpshooters and we can't fucking score. Um, we need to roll three forwards out there. No, it's like Provorov skating around in his own zone. Like that, that, that was like half of the overtime. He just loves skating around. And the flyers get the puck and overtime three V three, they go backwards. And the defenseman, like, just loves, like, stick handling with one hand. Um, so, you know, rather than being happy after a loss, why don't we give a little analysis and talk about where the strategy went sideways? I have no clue if NHL coaches roll three forwards out there. But guess what? I've seen enough of these flyer shootouts to know they ain't going to win the fucking game because of shootout. And, in fact, I had to go look up the statistics after the game. Let me give you these statistics, okay? Let me give you these statistics. I mean – you know, I text G, I go, hang on a second. The Flyers have to be the worst. The worst in a shootout. And he goes, it certainly feels like it. Let me read you these statistics. The Flyers have been all time, right? The shootout, at, what, when did this start? 10 years ago after lockout, something like that? Yeah, probably something like that. 146 games have gone to shootout. They've won 53. Okay. They're 28th in the league in wins. The 29th team is the Calgary Flames. Calgary Flames have 52 shootout wins. They've only played 117 games that uh, have gone to shootout. The Hurricanes, 50 wins. 111 games have gone to shootout. The, uh, the Vegas Knights, 12. The Vegas Knights, by like next year, are going to like pass the Flyers in shootout wins. They've been around for like two seasons. So they're dead last in the NHL in shootout wins in terms of winning percentage. Why is that, right? So then you look at the statistics. So let's let's take a look at the actual statistics. Uh, as I said, they're, they're dead last, thirty six percent winning percentage. Okay. Then you look at their uh, their players. Their their there's their goal percentage, right? You have a break basically a breakaway. You could do whatever you want. You can't. You know I mean? You go down, shoot the puck. You can deke a guy. You can try to tuck one behind him. The Flyers are second to last in goal percentage, 27%. One out of four times there's a shootout, a shooter coming down the ice for the Flyers in a shootout, they score. One out of four times. It's almost impossibly bad. I said to you, I mean, if you're watching the game in like the, the, the second intermission or the, you know, the first intermission, whatever it is, I mean, you, you see mites on ice that break away and have better moves, you know, in open ice than the Flyers. And here we are watching the post game talking about how thrilled they are with the third period effort. I mean, it's just, it just really struck. So that's my bone to pick of the week. The post game commentary talking about 
the loss and the fact that the Philadelphia Flyers, after like 15 years of shootouts, still can't win a shootout. It's a fair point. But they got the all-important point against the defending Stanley Cup champs. See, that's the problem with you Flyers guys. Nobody Here I am. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles season ticket holder. I held the franchise accountable. I held them accountable for the quarterback play. We got a new quarterback. We got a new quarterback. We got a new coach. Okay, not that I wanted to see Doug go, but we do. They, they started over. I held them accountable. Okay. You Flyers guys. You're a Flyers guy. Are you going to hold this, this franchise accountable for a strategy change in overtime and the, and the shootout? I mean, come on. I mean, it, how many more times do we need to see this? I mean, I was only saying that sarcastically, but I, I agree with you. And I think the point being, I, I think that the shootout issue is a microcosm of the overall issue with the Flyers. There's not enough high-end skill. And, you know, I'm a Giroux guy. I, I am. But he's not an elite hockey player in the NHL. He was for a short time. In, you know, 2011, 2012, when he was playing with Yager and they lit up the Penguins in that first round series and everything. But ever since, he's just been like a, you know, he's a he's a top top third of the league player, maybe. Um, And they got Coots, but he's he's not an elite player. He's an elite defensive player. He's not an elite offensive player. And, you know, they have guys like Konechny. He was a first round pick. Joel Farabee, who I like Joel Farabee, I think. He he he's got a little more pop than, than what we've seen thus far, um, but but Konechny hasn't turned into first round talent. I mean, you look at other teams that get these guys like Tampa Bay, like Kucherov. The guy's fucking electric. I think he was like a third or fourth round pick. So, I mean, my big issue with the Flyers has been the management and you know the coaching with the Hackstall and the Hextall. And they changed that. They brought in Chuck Fletcher and they brought in AV. And the first year was successful. Granted, it was cut short by COVID. They were one game from the conference final. And that's not good enough. I'm not a Sixers fan. I'm not hanging on to, you know, the Kawhi Leonard two bounces away. It's not good enough. But it was improvement on what they were doing. Now, the, now last year, they were trash. So if they're trash again this year, then, you know, they need to, to overhaul everything. Aside from maybe the goal, prioritize like they prioritize like centermen who can like win a faceoff, which is like great. You want to win a faceoff, but like oh yeah, they'll 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 tell you that every night on the broadcast. Yeah, the Flyers are one of the top faceoff teams in the league. Well, faceoffs don't put the fucking puck in the net. (laughs) They certainly don't have anything to do with a shootout. No, but yeah, I mean they're 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 an average team with average talent and. Not having Hayes and Ellis isn't going to help. So I'm a little, I'm a little scared. I'm a little weary as as a Flyers guy that it might get ugly again this year because last year they started off strong, even though you know the on ice play wasn't all that pretty and everything. The record was all right, and then it blew up in their face. And the schedule that they got coming up, it's it's looking like it, it could take a turn. But who knows? I mean, they're not giving up a ton of goals this year. They're playing better defensively, so you got to give them that. But no, they they. They're they're not good at shootouts, and at the end of the season, when they're scratching and clawing for a wild card spot, and they're two three points out, you're going to look back to see, uh, you know, Braden Point or Steven Stamkos skating right in on hard and picking a corner, 
and our guy's fumbling the puck in front of Vasilevsky, and you're going to think, wow, it would have been nice if we won a fucking shootout. <laughs> oh, well. That's all I got on that. You got anything else? That's all I got. Should I shut it down for good? Shut it down. All right, I'm going to shut it down. Um, as always, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we truly do appreciate it. It keeps us going. We're having a lot of fun here. Um, as always, give us a follow on the gram, like, rate, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Keep an eye out for those Thanksgiving picks. We're going to have them for you. Let's let's make some cash and eat some turkey. Um, and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We are thankful for you. Bomb, I'm thankful for you as well. I look forward to seeing you, buddy. Um, but, yeah, happy Thanksgiving to our, to our followers, our listeners. Hopefully you enjoy some some nice family time, some good grubs, some football, and some ice-cold cocktails. Um, so enjoy, and we will talk to everybody next week. Peace.